Good morning again, Lindsley Avenue. It's good to see everyone. I'm very glad you're here. We are very glad you're here. And we hope you will come back and be with us each and every opportunity that you have. Uh, as we start off, you can see on the slide, I want to say happy Juneteenth to everyone. Uh, that's a holiday that has been well known in certain areas for a long time. And it is finally getting the attention it deserves, commemorating the, in many ways, final word, final fall of slavery here in the United States when word got down to Galveston of Texas, as I understand it. Uh, that was as a celebration of the end of slavery. I'm glad we had a calendar day where that is celebrated. Uh, it would be my wish that we would have a calendar day where we would eventually celebrate the end of slavery to sin because that continues to plague our nation and our world. But let's celebrate the holiday that we have, the end of slavery, which was long, long overdue. So happy Juneteenth uh, to everyone. We continue to study this month a series of heroes. Uh, we uh, have studied a couple of them already. We talked about Elijah, we talked about Miriam, and today we're talking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So I want to look and let the text, as, as has happened in previous weeks, the text is going to do most of the preaching. I tend to find that's the best way for preaching to occur anyway. But we're going to let the text say a lot, and as we get to the end of our selection today, we'll say, what can we learn from that that we can apply to ourselves? So we're going to look at Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament describes the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem during what's often called the Second Temple Period. Solomon had built the First Temple, and that was destroyed when the Babylonians came and carried away the people of Judah, the people of the Southern Kingdom, into captivity over in Babylon at about 586 B.C., nearly 600 years before the birth of Jesus. The empire of Babylon, the Babylonian empire, had fallen, and so Persia came up and took over most of that empire some years later. This is occurring when Nehemiah is set up as governor of the area of Judah during the reign of Artaxerxes, what a name, Artaxerxes, the first of Persia, somewhere between 465 and 424 BC. So this is a hundred and roughly 140 years after the temple had been destroyed, but when the Babylonians ransacked Jerusalem and carted people away, they also broke down the walls of the city. So for 140 years, more or less, Jerusalem had had its walls in ruins. And in that day and age, that meant that there was no effective way to know who was coming in or out of the city. People that meant you harm could sneak in at night through the broken walls. And if any enemies came up, it was real easy just to march in and march right back out. And that's the setting we have of Nehemiah and the book of Nehemiah. By this time, two previous groups of returnees had come back from, to Jerusalem from the captivity over in Babylon and then later in Susa, where the Persian Empire was was kind of centered or headquartered. But Nehemiah and a good number of the Jewish people who had been carried off to captivity had stayed in those foreign lands. Nehemiah is one of those. 
So he is not in Jerusalem. He is a good distance away, more or less in modern-day Iran. It's kind of where they were located. Modern-day Iran, the Persian Empire. One of Nehemiah's brothers came from Jerusalem to visit Nehemiah over in the land of Susa, the Persian Empire, and told him how things were in Jerusalem. And things were not good, not good at all. Let's pick up with Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Thanks, Thurl, for reading this earlier. Uh, I don't always pick uh, passages for Thurl that have long names that are better than So here we go, starting with Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Anani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I, Nehemiah speaking here, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Tell me how things are going. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province, over in Judah, who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. <clears throat> He's got the news more or less kind of from home, and it's bad news, and this greatly upsets Nehemiah. On. As soon as I heard these words, I, Nehemiah, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Now, this is a wonderful, wonderful example of what prayer really should be about. I'm afraid too often when we pray, it's, it's prayer to God about stuff we want. A problem we have. God, I've got a problem, please solve it. In this prayer, this is a prayer for other people. It's a prayer for problems that are a long way away from where Nehemiah is. And the blame for the problem is put right on the people of Judah, the people of Israel, and he brings it even more personally onto himself. In what way had the people of Israel, the people of Judah, and the house of Nehemiah, the family of Nehemiah, sinned? Look how he continues. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, hear God speaking to the children of Israel, way back at the time of Moses, some thousand years earlier, If you are unfaithful, God had said, I will scatter you among the peoples. But, remember, I always want to look for the word but in a passage, because so often what is before the word but is bad or hard or tough. But, without that word, so much in life would be really a whole lot more difficult. 
If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments to do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. No matter what circumstance we're in, there's always a but in the statements from God that can always change our current situation. Always. Continuing now, verses 10 and 11. They are your servants and your people, these people who have been scattered out among the nations, who you have redeemed by your great power and strong hand, because a number of people had already gone back to their homeland, had already gone back to Jerusalem. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah ends this rather long prayer finally with a plea that God do something for him. It's not to give him fancy car. It's not to give him money or, you know, I'm so fearful that we pray to God in a greedy way for stuff that we want, right? Nehemiah has, has prayed, confessed sin, and then at the end of this prayer, he says, please give ear to your servant's prayer that he will find mercy in the sight of this other man over here. Who's this other man? Well, that's Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. He's the next person in the story. So Nehemiah has some plan after hearing about the state of Jerusalem and, and re recognizing that it's in that state because of what his fathers had done, what the people had done, and what Nehemiah's own family had done. He has an idea. And he's asking God to bless the plan that something can be done about it in front of Artaxerxes, the king. Look what happens next. This is chapter 2, 1 through 4. He goes before the king and the queen. And Nehemiah had been the cupbearer, kind of the butler. Uh, he, he's uh, in front of the king, and the king notices Nehemiah is not his usual chipper, chippery self, right? He's not his happy kind of self. We need to be like our Xerxes in that respect. We need to know each other enough that we can tell. It's not your usual self. What's, what's wrong, brother? What's wrong, sister? Care enough to ask. Care enough to ask. So my first challenge to all of us, uh, you know, I don't even mind asking for a raise of hands here, let's all pay more attention to each other that we can recognize that somebody's down. Hard to help somebody if we don't even notice that they're down. So please take that as an individual challenge that I want to put on you and me to pay more attention to each other. Be like the king. I, it's hard to imagine. I want us to emulate the king of Persia. Our desert sees here because he noticed that something's wrong with Nehemiah. And he asked him about it. And he says, I see that you're not sick. You look sad. I can tell you're not sick. Nehemiah must have been, you know, some real brawny guy, right? He doesn't look sick or anything, and it's not physically ill. So this has to be, the king says, Sadness of the heart. Then I, back to Nehemiah speaking, I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's always a good way to start talking to a king. Let the king live forever. 
Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates are destroyed by fire? How can I be happy when I have now been told that the place I come from, where my fathers and the fathers before them are buried, is in ruins? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? What do you mean? How can I help? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, did you notice that he prayed to God before he responded to the king? Nehemiah is a man whose default action is prayer. What's my default action in a hard situation? I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your, your sight, I'm asking that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah returned. The rest of the book of Nehemiah is really following through on this early first part of the book. He goes back to Jerusalem. He rebuilds the walls and he calls the people who had returned from captivity back to the worship of God and following God. What do I want us to learn from this man and this early part of the book of Nehemiah here this morning? What does it say to me some 2,400 years later? How can I improve my next week and months and years ahead by learning something from this man Nehemiah? In the first place, Nehemiah recognized the situation that he'd been told about. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 3? He's being told by his brother, Hanani, the remnant there in the province has survived the exile, but they are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Sometimes we hear things, good or bad, and they just don't sink. We talk to people, how are you doing today? And we don't really hear the response. We're thinking about stuff of our own, our own situation, our own circumstances. How are you doing today? And I'm already over here. I don't even, I don't even stop to hear the end of it. We can be very self-centered. It's hard, very hard not to be. It really is. But Nehemiah. Instead of thinking about what he had to do later that day or what he was going to be doing, he heard the, the circumstances that described, people hurting, problem, and he saw that this is in fact a big deal. When we talk to each other, when we interact with people in the workplace, family, or wherever we run into people, listen to them. Recognize the problem. Nehemiah recognized the problem. Yeah, that's an important thing we all need to make sure we keep doing. Recognize the problem. Look for a situation that's a problem. See it when it's in front of us. What to do? Once you know there's a problem, what to do about it is the next good question. So what's the second thing I want us to learn? Be praying about the problem. Now, too often, there'll be a problem and... Instead of praying or something like that, but we, we start right in and fix it. How about we take time out, you know, 
in, in, in sports, there's this thing, a timeout, where you can figure out what you're going to do about the fact that you're down 300 to nothing in the first quarter. <laughs> it's time for a timeout at that point. Let's think about what we're doing. Well, in this case, let's take a timeout and pray when we see a problem in our lives or in the lives of somebody else. Nehemiah prayed about the problem. Look at what Nehemiah 1, 4 through 6 says. As soon as I heard these words, not next day, not later that evening, not a month later, but I remembered these words. As soon as I heard these words, that there's shame and trouble among the people back at home, in the homeland, that the walls of Jerusalem are in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, he sits down and weeps for days and mourns. He's feeling great sadness, and he fasted and prayed before God. He didn't rush off to immediately try to fix the problem. Now, if somebody's bleeding crazy to death, I will be praying as I try to stop the bleeding. I understand, but it's some bigger problem, some bigger problem. And here's what he prayed. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your people, the people of Israel, your servants. When there is a problem, prayer should be the first response. It was for Nehemiah. And prayer should continue before action is taken. As I say, unless there's an emergency. So I'm asking you, as I've been asking myself, as I have been working on this lesson this morning, what's my first response when I see a problem? Sometimes we get mad at the person who told us about the problem. Sometimes we get mad even though we may have caused the problem. Whoever's around is unlucky enough that we're exploding in anger, even if it's something that we may have done ourselves. First response needs to be the response of Nehemiah. It needs to be pray the problem. Ask for wisdom. The book of James would say in chapter 1, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, let her ask of God, who gives you all freely. Well, ask for wisdom and pray to God to help him bring solution before you. Prayer should continue before action is taken. This isn't a step back, a 10-second prayer to God and then going ahead with whatever you thought of first. When I'm talking, it's not a 30-second timeout. This is a big timeout to pray to God and continue to pray to God, looking for wisdom of how do I respond to this situation, this problem. He then addressed responsibility for the problem. Look at the next thing took responsibility for the problem. Continue on. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Now, I thought about actually blanking out the rest of this passage first because that's often where most of us will be tempted to stop when we're assigning responsibility for something. You know, it's always somebody else's problem. It's always, for most of us, many of us, many times, problem John over there started. 
Have you heard what John did? Do you know what's going on? Why can't he leave him? Remember the old thing, your mother, your grandmother, somebody told you when you point at someone else, what's it doing? Well, you look at it right here. I'm pointing over here. You see these other fingers? Where are they pointing? A large percentage of the time, I may have been the problem in the first place or the cause of the problem. Nehemiah could have said, Lord, hear me because of all the things my forefathers did. He doesn't stop there, neither should we. Even I, personal, even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. The tendency is to dodge blame. Point somewhere else. Right? Not Nehemiah. Hmm. Not Nehemiah. People of Israel and Nehemiah and his family had all been guilty. They were all suffering this problem because of individual actions that they took. He accepts responsibility for the problem. He identified the problem. He prayed about the problem. He accepted responsibility for the problem. Now Now He took action. Only now does he take action. After recognizing the problem, we'll say it again, praying about the problem, accepting responsibility, his personal responsibility for contributing to the problem, only after that and after praying to God for days does he take action. Look at chapter 2, 4, and 5. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and the king says, Why are you looking down, Nehemiah? I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He saw the problem, prayed about the problem, accepted responsibility, and then took action. Now, in many ways, I want you to see the next, the fifth lesson from what we've seen here at the MI. God is in the reconstruction. Nehemiah goes to rebuild the temple, but God is with him. It's after praying to God that Nehemiah goes back to help rebuild the walls and rebuild society by directing them to God. Nehemiah had vision. He saw what was, but he also saw what might be. Most of us can see the current situation. We're often very good at seeing the current situation, but we see it and we kind of assume it's never going to change. Nehemiah saw, he had heard, he recognized the current situation, but after praying about it and accepting responsibility about it, the action he took was to focus on what might be in the future. I'm afraid sometimes we hear about a problem and we just, it's like we go stand in a corner this will never work. We're in such a bad spot. No sense trying. I've messed up my life so much, even. No hope left for me. That's not the response of Nehemiah. He saw what was, which might have been really bad. It really was bad. But he saw what might be. Now notice the next thing really closely. God sees what we are. 
but also what we might be. We are all sinners, every single one of us, myself included. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserves anything from God. But only through His incredible mercy has He saved us. Nothing we have ever done is ever going to be good enough or enough to save us. Only by the grace of God, He loved us and sent His Son to die for us. He saw where we were, which was ugly, which was rebellion, which was lost in an ocean of sin. But He saw what might be. He saw what the future might look like. He's given each and every one of us the opportunity to step into that future. What do you see when you look at your life? I want to ask you to be more like a Nehemiah. Do you see what it really is? Or do you see the mask you want everybody else to see? I did add that after I knew what I had masks today. I'm afraid too often we wear a mask even if it's not a physical, physical mask. What's really going on inside of our lives? God doesn't get fooled by a mask that other people might get fooled by. Do I see where I am and think this is all I'm ever going to be? Or can I, like Nehemiah, have the vision to see what might be? God already has. He sees what we could be and is pleading, begging with each and every one of us to not stay in that ocean of sin, but to come to the shore where forgiveness and love can be found. Do you see what God wants for you this morning? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get there? <coughs> Nehemiah was. He saw the current situation and did whatever it took to proceed to the future of what might be. Let God reconstruct, rebuild, and change your life today. Please, come down as we stand and sing.